You know, I, you, you know that the, the best missionaries actually come from the place where people live. Even I was reading through uh, the bulletin about this, the guy that we're praying for. And he's, he goes to South America and he starts these churches and he has these Bible schools and he trains these guys to go share the gospel with people. To all the Latin country or Latin speaking countries, meaning everybody who speaks Spanish. And that's exactly what he did. He was a foreign missionary to a foreign soil, but he's teaching these guys, this is how you reach your own people. The, the people who, uh, like in America, we already know what each other's kind of what we're kind of like we know the social norms we know the language we know kind of the lifestyle and so we're going to be the best missionaries to ourselves right there there are other countries who send missionaries to america because they realize america needs salvation just like everywhere else and i'm all for foreign missions but i'm also for uh home missionaries because we live here and as we'll see later on or i'll point out is we're not going anywhere right we're going to stay here and be ranchers and be teachers and be doctors and whatever here. We like it here. And so our, our challenge is to be a missionary here because that's where we're at. But that's way ahead of myself here. Um, you know, the, the, best, the best people to, to reach are the, the circles that you're in. Now, I was thinking about the bank. And I was thinking about TC. Just random people that these two do not go together. You know, you have, you have a bunch of women at the bank and people who count money. Who's going to be the best to reach the people at the bank? TC, who comes in every once in a while and cashes his check, or the person who works at the bank? When you think of uh, the, the gas and the oil industry, is Caleb Pluger going to be a better missionary to those people or somebody who's already there? Or even thinking about... The neighbors around here in Plevna, who's going to be a better missionary? Steve Losing, who lives uh, south of Baker, like 100 miles, no, 13 miles or something? Or me, because I'm here. I'm going to make the best missionary because I'm here. And wherever you're working at, whatever circles you're in, you're going to be the best missionary there. And I know it's scary. You know, because when we, we had a funeral a couple weeks ago, and I got up here, and there was like 150 people here. That's like 300 eyes looking at me. And I got up here, and I shared the gospel. And guess what? I wasn't scared. It didn't bother me at all, which maybe that's impressive. Maybe it's not. But I have my friend Troy, the one that drilled water wells, and I worked with him for five and a half years. And I remember the day I decided I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And we're driving down the road, and I'm like, Maybe at the next, you know, and it just, until finally I'm like, I have to do it now or I'm not going to get the chance to do it all on that day because we were going to go our separate ways and so I had to do it. So I know it's scary and the hardest place to be a hometown missionary is at home. It's easy to get up here. You guys are expecting it to come out of here. It's not a one-on-one -on -one debate. I just, it's a lecture. I got to just tell you whatever this is what the gospel is. And no one's saying, no, Josh, I don't understand. I don't agree. But one-on-one -on -one in your hometown is the toughest place to be a missionary. And that's what we're going to look at. We saw the bulletin, guys. Uh, the guy in the bulletin was training people to do that. This is what Jesus, is. we find him doing in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. And it's a challenge we find for ourselves to do today. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, we're going to see that Jesus was a hometown missionary. 
He had some good experiences and he had some bad experiences, but he didn't let that stop him. So verse 16 of Luke chapter 4. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Now a synagogue is kind of like a church. They would have singing, they would have scripture, memorization, they would have lots more Bible reading than what you would find here. But it was, it was, they would worship God, they would, they would have a sermon and kind of expound, this is what scripture means, this is how I apply it to my life. And that's what, uh, this was what Jesus was in the custom of doing as a kid. He grew up in his hometown of Nazareth. Every time he was supposed to be in the temple, or I mean in the synagogue, he was there. He was hearing scripture. He even possibly had the chance to read it. And now he's in a point in life where uh, he's going into temples, or I'm, I'm sorry, synagogues, and he's reading the scriptures, and he's expounding on them, and he's helping people to understand what they mean. And let me tell you, those people were so spoiled. You are never going to hear preaching like that come out of my mouth or on the radio. I mean, the way Jesus knew people and he could fit this exactly into their lives was something that those people should have just been eating up and been excited about. But because Jesus taught with one who had authority, he, he wasn't... He was very confident in what he said, and he was able to make it apply to every part of every part of his life. And imagine the passion that he had to reach these people. And what, where he's reading at is in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. That's part of where he's, he quotes. Uh, and I'm going to read it to you. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to oppress the to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you read through there, you see a lot of words. You see a lot of negative words. These are, these are not very positive words. You have the poor. You have the oppressed. You have the brokenhearted. You have um, the blind. All the kind of people that are, were mostly rejected from the world's viewpoint were the kinds of people Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to go tell these people because these are the people who are going to be realizing I'm poor, I'm, I'm without what I need, and I'm going to accept whatever kind of help I can get. So Jesus said, these are the people I'm going to focus on. And he came to preach the gospel. It's the good news that he was coming, that a Savior was coming, that he was going to die on the cross to pay for their sins. And if that was it, that would be enough if he just told everybody that. But he said, I'm going to focus on the kinds of people that everybody else says. He says, I'm going to preach it to the poor, meaning there's those who are financially poor. You know, the, especially in that day, they didn't have the government help. Nowadays, you can get WIC and you can get food stamps and you can get all sorts of government aids to help you. But back then, if you were poor, you were out of luck, uh, especially if you were a female. You, you didn't go out and just get a job to help pay the bills. You had your kids and you stayed home and you hopefully had family to take care of you. But you're the kind of people that the world says, we don't have that much time for you. And if you think about the poor today, we don't, have, we don't have poor people getting up and speaking at seminars so we can say, hey, how did you do it? How did you get so poor and how do you make it work? We're like, all of a sudden, I mean, America says you're poor. You're, you just, you're the kind of person that you obviously have not made it in life. You obviously have, have not sacrificed and worked hard. And they're the kind of people that the world says we don't need those people. But he's also talking about the poor in spirit. The kinds of people who realize, you know what, I am a, a wicked person. 
I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. Jesus went to talk to them. Uh, the ones that realize what Isaiah 64, 6 says, that all my righteous deeds are like filthy rakes. The kind of people who realize whether they're a Christian or not, they say, you know what, I, I'm a wicked person. I've done bad things. Whether it was something 20 years ago or whether it's something I just got doing, done doing, I hate this pattern in my life of sinning, of sinning, of sinning, and I'm, I just feel the weight of everything that I've done. Jesus said, I'm coming to those people. He's coming to release uh, or give freedom to the prisoner. Now, Jesus didn't go through all these towns busting people out of jail. Because that's not the kind of prison he was talking about. He wasn't talking about a physical prisoner. He was kind of talking about the prisoner that you are to yourself, to your past, to the weight of the sins that you have done. Because like I said, there's a lot of people who just can't get past the guilt of what they've done. I think of uh, people who've had an abortion. You know, because especially with Right to Life a few Sundays ago, uh, we've been looking on the internet, a lot of different stories. And there's just a lot of people who... When they've done something like that, they just, they can't, they, they, they don't turn to God and they just, they go nuts. I mean, they, they start drinking, they, their family falls apart, all sorts of issues come up because they have this tremendous amount of guilt. But even Christians, people who said, I, I had an abortion before I was saved or after I was saved, but I still have this tremendous amount of guilt. Jesus says, I'm coming to release those prisoners, those people who are so consumed by the guilt that they have. Recovery of sight to the blind or to, to give sight to the blind. You know, if you have somebody who's blind, who's walking around, they got their cane and they got something on their eyes so people can't tell, they know that they're blind. But Jesus says, I'm going to come let people know that they're blind. In Romans uh, ten fourteen, it says, how can they call on whom they have not believed and how can they believe on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone is preaching to them? People are blind and they don't even know it. Jesus came to, he physically gave sight to some people and he healed the blind or the lame and he, he raised people from the dead. So he did these physical proofs that he was God's son. But he's also coming to show people who don't even realize that they can't see that they need a savior. In Romans 3, 10 and 11, it says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. The outside world that we, we see every day at Walmart, at, at the, the grocery store, there are lots of people who walk around who can see just fine, but they, they are not calling on God because just on our own, we're not going to do that. God calls us, but he uses us to reach into people's lives in order to share Christ with them. But that's part of why Jesus came, because he wants people to see that you can't see, that you need a Savior. To release the press, uh, to offer hope and freedom. It's kind of like the, the freedom for the prisoner, the ones who are consumed by guilt and by the weight of what their life is, to give hope to people who just have a, their life just stinks. Every, it just seems like bad fortune follows them around everywhere they go. He didn't come to say, I'm going to make everything perfect, but to say there's hope in here. When, when you're getting a flat tire, you can have hope because God is in control. When you, when, uh, you get fired from your job, when, when just your house, I mean, everything is bad that can happen to you. God came to say that there's hope. This is not all there is. I know the world sees and says, how can you believe in a God like that? Because all these things bad still happen to you. But you can have hope. 
And that's why Jesus came. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, for us, we go, okay, I'm not sure what that means, but for the Jews, if you look in uh, Luke, or, I'm sorry, Leviticus 25, it talks about the year of Jubilee. And that was something that was supposed to happen every 50th year. If you had, if you were a slave, or if you had to sell your land and pay off a debt, you're supposed to hire yourself out to somebody who was another Jew. And you're supposed to sell your land to someone else who was a Jew. And after 50 years, or the 50th year, you got it back. You were, you were no longer a slave. You were, you were, your debts were forgiven. Your land was given back. And, and for the Jewish people, they'd say, wow, that's, I know what that's like. I, I've heard stories. I know where it's at in the Bible. And Jesus is coming to say, you're, you can be free from sin. You can be free from the guilt of sin. You can be free from the power of sin. The temptations we looked at last week, this, this big list that I even gave of myself of things that I've struggled with, I can be released from that because Jesus came. And he says, I want to give you life. I want to give it to you more abundantly. I don't want, I don't want anybody to feel trapped and stuck and feel the weight of all their sin. I want you to be free. I want you to have freedom. I, and that's why he came. So he could share the good news, but he could be that good news. Now, if you've, if you've ever looked this up in Isaiah, there's part of the verse that Jesus did not quote. As soon as he was done proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back. Now for us, we go, okay, that's probably the end of the verse or the end of the chapter or the section. But in the end of verse 2, it says, he did, the day of the vengeance of God. Jesus didn't come to bring the day of the vengeance of God. He stopped short with, I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, not the vengeance of God. I don't want you guys to know that. I mean, I want you to know that, but I want you guys to know that I came to give you life. I came to give you eternal life, to give you freedom. Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a day of vengeance. And it's, it's getting closer and closer when we can't help but in Sunday school talking through Daniel of just feeling like God's getting, it's coming. And, and Jesus says, hey, it's coming, but not yet. I want you to know this salvation. That I'm, that I'm giving through myself, that I'm giving to you. And this is a message we all need to know. And if you don't know Jesus, you're the bankrupt one. You're the one who has nothing to give to God. All your righteous deeds are nothing. You're the one who's locked, your prisoner, the one who's locked up that needs to be set free. You're the blind one who walks around thinking, I'm just fine. I, I got my bank account and I can, I can do everything I want to see or everything I want to do, but you don't know that you're blind. You're the one who needs to take advantage of the Lord's favor because your debt can be forgiven. You, it, your slate can be wiped clean because of God. And we have that one time with Jesus dying on the cross and, and not holding our sins against us. But in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sins, he's going to forgive you of your sins. And you can have eternal life. You can have that slate washed clean every time, but you got to do it the first time. Jesus has to wash that clean, and then each time, he just wipes away what you've done because he forgave you for it. This is a message we all need to know, and I know that everybody in here has heard it before. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, great. That's awesome, because that's why Jesus came. But he didn't come, I'm sorry to say, just for me. Just so that I could have salvation. He says, Josh. He says, Noah. He says, Darren. 
Everybody, your name, your job is to share this with other people. And so Jesus, he, he started in the region of Galilee, and he went to his own hometown. And that is the toughest place to share the gospel. Some people accepted him, like I said, and some people didn't. In verses 14 and 15, we see Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So this was after he was tempted. And the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He shared the good news wherever he went. Now around Galilee, just for, just for a picture, you have this big lake, and you have like these nine major cities around there. And they have at least 15,000 people in one city. And I remember reading somewhere, even though I couldn't find it, there's like 204 little towns and areas. And so Jesus is going to these synagogues in all these areas trying to share the good news. And there's no way he reached every single one, uh, even though he was trying. I mean, 15,000 people, that's a lot of people for one guy to connect to. And what did Jesus teach? What did, what did, what did he do when he, he talk, talked to those synagogues? We don't know because not everything Jesus did is ever recorded. These people were excited about what they heard in the surrounding areas of Galilee. But in John 21, 21 25, it says, Jesus did many other things. If they're written down, I suppose not even the whole world could contain the books that were written. Not everything that Jesus did was recorded. I'd like to know what parables did you use? What miracles did you use? And with the, the Gospels, things are overlapped. And so you can kind of, if you, if you do your homework, you can find out that during this time, Jesus has gone and done a miracle of changing the water into wine, which is one example of his power that he showed to all these people. Be encouraged. Jesus shared the message with some people. And guess what? Some people were excited to hear it. And some people are going to be open when you open your mouth to share it with them. I know it feels like, who am I? Not me. Uh-uh. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've stood up at church or at a VBS or I've talked to people and shared the gospel. I don't have this great big list of names of people who come to know the Lord. I mean, it would be like, like this big of all the, the millions, not the millions, but all the hundreds of people. You have a list this big. But there are some people who are going to hear the message and they're going to believe. But Jesus also met with resistance. And guess what? If Jesus met with resistance, you're, you're going to meet with resistance too. And when Jesus is in his, home, his own hometown, talking to the people that he grew up with, the people who would recognize him and know him, the people who should have known better than anybody else that what this guy said is true, they're the people who rejected him. It says he, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to his attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Isaiah says. By the way, by the way guys, this is me. I'm the one who's coming to fulfill this. And everyone spoke well of him at first. But then they start thinking, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, I mean, how is it that this is Joseph's son? We know Mary and Joseph. We know he was raised in this, this area. But how could this be the Messiah? It doesn't matter the perfect life that he lived. It doesn't matter all the stories and all the miracles that they've heard about what Jesus has done and what they've taught. They just start saying, okay, uh, how could this really be anybody special? How could Jesus be anybody special? He's just like us. And I hope you see a connection right there. Just... Everybody in Plevna, how could you be anybody special to tell me anything? 
You're just like us. And they wouldn't accept him. And Jesus knew that. And so he says, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you do in Capernaum. Now, we don't have any specific uh, look back to Capernaum and say, well, Jesus was in Capernaum. That's when he fed the 5,000. Or that's when he did this miracle. Or that's when he taught this. So this may be something from the past. Or it may be something in the future of what Jesus says, you guys are going to be quoting this to me. Because like I said, not everything Jesus did was recorded. But Jesus knows that all they want is they want to show. You proved yourself to these people. Why don't you prove yourself to us? We'd like to see some of those same miracles that you've done to them. And he says, he, he makes it even worse. He says, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Jesus, of all people, should have been the one that everybody says, I'm going to accept, I'm going to believe what he says. So Jesus, he makes it worse because he says, not only am I not going to do miracles for you, I want you guys to know that this message that I'm sharing is not just for the Jewish people. This message is for the Gentiles too. He says, um, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. So with Elijah, you had this, this whole nation of Israel, very wicked people turning away from God, but there's widows there. I'm sure there's widows who love God and were looking to God for help. And God says, I want you to go over there to a Gentile. And I want you to help her. And, and this gal uh, made Elijah some bread. And then her oil never ran out until the rains came. For three and a half years, it never came. Her oil never ran out. And then you have Elisha. He had the opportunity to heal an enemy of Israel, uh, Naaman. He was a guy who, the only way he knew about, the, uh, about Elisha was because he, some of his men raided an Israelite town and they stole a girl. Well, they took her back home and Naaman's got leprosy. And the, the girl tells Naaman, go to Elisha. Even though she's a slave, she's telling him, go to Elisha, he can help you. And so Naaman, the only way he knows how to even get healed is through a slave girl that they stole. And he goes, and, he, and so he, here Jesus is saying, God fed the, the Gentile, and God even healed those people. There were lots of other people in the time of Israel during that same time who had leprosy, but God didn't go to them. He went to this one outsider. So here's what I'm saying is this message that I'm sharing is not just for you guys. This is for the Gentiles, which thankfully, because that includes us, everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. That's me. I'm just an average, ordinary person. God's message is for me. And they, wouldn't ex- they, 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 they kind of ran him out of town. They wanted to get him off to a cliff and push him off, to this, off the cliff and then stone him to death. Well, somehow through there, Jesus was able to just walk through the crowds because it was not his time to die. And I don't know if they just were stunned the fact that he was walking through or if he was invisible or how he did it. But somehow God got him through the crowd and he was able to leave. But the bigger thing is that Jesus met with resistance and you're going to meet with resistance too. It's just the way it's going to be. The toughest place to share the gospel is with those who know us best. Because we're not so perfect. You know, I was, I was talking with Scott and I kind of verified this quote that he gave me. It should be written down in books. He said, uh, in, in Plevna, if you do something wrong, Everybody else knows that you did it wrong before you even finished doing wrong what you did. 
It was quoted better than that. Maybe I'll read it. Um, everyone, knowing, don't forget it. You guys get the idea. Everybody knows what you did wrong before you're even done doing it. And imagine that. Even 20 years ago, people can remember something that you did wrong. Maybe 20 years ago, on a uh, history test, you cheated. And it's almost going to remind you of that. You know, maybe um, you, 10 years ago, you, you lied to your boss and you were, or you started talking bad about overtime and, and the fact that you just hated this job. People are going to remember that. Or maybe even a week ago, you're trying to get your, your wife and your kids to church and the neighbors watch you scream at them. You know, that's, that's happened. That kind of thing happens. And why, why wouldn't we want to tell people about Jesus? After that, after everybody knows what wrong we've done our whole life, why wouldn't we want to open our mouths and tell them, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian? We're afraid, right? We're afraid they're going to say, look, Josh, I know what you did even 10 years ago. I know you cheated. I know that you, you're not always nice to your wife. I, you know, whatever it is, and I'm afraid they're going to bring that up to me. But don't let that stop you from inviting that kid to, to church or that the adult. You know, 20 years ago, you, you cheated together on a history test. Don't let that stop you from inviting them to church. Yeah, they might bring it up. I mean, it's tough to share Christ with people. I can come here to Pleven, and I've mentioned where uh, across the street, I just walked up to somebody and just let them have it. I said, here's the gospel, and I was completely comfortable. I've gone to Martin Hall, which is like a kid's jail. You have these kids that you wouldn't even want to see on a dark alley. I mean, they, they got all the tattoos, and they're not even 15, and they got piercings, and they got muscles. And you're like, I wouldn't want to meet these people. But I can share the gospel with them without any trouble. Because it's short, but it's the people that know me that's, that, that's when it gets hard. But like I said, most of you, just like me, I'm not going anywhere. You know, this, families have been here for generations. And if we wait for somebody else to come in and share the gospel, we're not doing the right thing. We, we, hopefully, we have nobody here who wants to go be a missionary, which is okay. Hopefully, by the time they grow up, they will. But we, we got to go to where we work and share the gospel. We have the same jobs we've always had. We live in the same neighborhoods. We have the same teachers. We go to the same doctors. we got to be the ones that reach out to those people. And in the circle that you're in, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go to uh, school to, uh, I'm going to pick on Caleb again. I'm not going to go to Caleb's school and, and try to get to know every kid on his basketball team to share Christ with them. Caleb, that's your job. Okay, that's your circle. I'm not going to go talk to the, the choir director or the band teacher. I don't play any musical instruments. If you're in school and you do, that's your job. If you're, if you're out with the cows and you work with the vet, I don't, I'm like, the last thing I want to do is deal with vet issues and animals. But if you do, that's part of your circle. My circle is this neighborhood. Everybody I come in contact, the best person to reach is those people. Now, I'm not saying walk up to them. I mean, just picture what a foreign missionary does. They don't walk up to the first aborigine and just start spewing the gospel at them. You're a sinner and you need a savior. What do they do? They become friends with them. They get involved in their lives. Uh, like the foxes. They're not just there knocking on doors and, and just shouting the gospel and moving on from house to house. They're getting involved. They're, they're, their kids are getting connected with them. They're invited to birthday parties, all with a chance of getting to know these people to share the gospel with them. So start with that. Invite people over for a barbecue this summer. At lunchtime, say, hey, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? 
And if you get the chance to bring up the gospel then, great. If not, try again. If you, if you don't got the guts to do it, which I understand, or the opportunity doesn't come, call, keep going. Invite people over for dinner. Invite them over for games. Get involved in other people's lives so that you can share the gospel with them. Now, the, the main two points of this message, I just the first one is make sure that you yourself know the gospel. I mean, because you've got to be able to share, but make sure that you know it for yourself, that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior because he came. That's the, why he came, so we could have salvation, so that we could have eternal life. And if you don't know Jesus, it's very simple. You just pray and say, God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. God knows exactly what's on your heart. There's no, there's no magic formula. There's no magic words. You just say, God, I need you to save me from my sins, and he'll save you. And the second part is this is make sure that this salvation that you have or that you know that you share it with other people. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter your relationship to them. They might be your enemy. They might be somebody that you can't stand, but they need the gospel. You live on a mission field. Be a hometown missionary. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. And I just thank you, God, that you came to this earth to be with man so that you could... Um, share your gospel with us so that you could come to the cross to die to pay for our sins. And I thank you, God, that I have that salvation. I had to admit to you that I'm not perfect, that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior. And I know it's hard to admit to people. Even though everybody knows everybody's a sinner, it's still hard to admit that. So please, God, help us admit to you that we need you as our Savior if we need to do that. God, I know it's hard to get out there and share our faith with other people because they may reject us, they may not want to be our friend anymore. They may ask us questions that we don't know the answers to. But I pray that you give us the boldness and the courage to share our faith with other people because you died to give it to us and help us to, to take advantage of the fact that you want us to do that. Please help us to be home now missionaries. From today until the day you call us home, please help us to be hometown missionaries. I just ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.